welcome to Playing With Fire, the podcast for people who are ready to custom build their love. We're talking about non-monogamy, however you design it, as an individuation opportunity. Want to leave the default and make your life spectacularly you? You're in the right place. We've got a really fun episode today that's a conversation, a conversation amongst peers, amongst community builders. It was a great conversation. So we were talking today with Emma and Finn from Normalizing Non-Monogamy, which is both a podcast and podcast a, community. a community. And the thing I loved about their story is it, in some ways, completely mirrors our experiences and then in other ways is just so entirely different. Um Nothing strikes me as more, you know, more the way it is to deal with relationships than meet right. people who are like, wow, my experience is exactly the same as yours. And, and nothing somehow, like it at all. Right. Yeah. How is that true? Oh. Because relationships are unique. And, but also they have these core features mm -hmm. and we can learn so easily from each other. And even as we were talking in this conversation, I remember thinking, oh, yep. That if I had known that at the beginning oh, of my journey or, oh, if yeah. I had known to put it that way. So this is a great conversation if you are at the beginning of your explorations, but also if you are feeling a little stuck because you're feeling like you don't know um, where to turn for community. There are communities out there. Some of them exist in online spaces for you so that you can reach the community that you need. And and then I think the bigger question we answered is like, what the heck does it mean? Like, why, why go to community? Why do yeah, you need right. community? Um, and Emma and Finn do a great job of making non-monogamy approachable. I mean, that's what I like about their podcast is it's week after week. It is just, it's stories. It's people's stories of... It's well-named. Yeah. Normalizing non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. And when I listen to other people talk about their non-monogamous experiences, because I'm a coach, frequently I'm hearing stories of people who've hit a transition point or a challenge and they're like, oh, I need help. And... It's not always like that. Sometimes it's just awesome. <laughs> you and I happen to be yeah. in a particularly luscious time yep. of our non-monogamous relationship right now, this moment. Like last week, I feel like we really hit a sweet spot and I am enjoying the hell out of this relationship. And it almost feels crass to talk about it. Like we should always be talking about how things go wrong and what do we do when they go wrong and when it's hard. Um, and it and feels like bragging to talk about when my relationship is awesome or when um, I'm meeting. I, so I also am in conversations with four people right now that are all going like really well. Um, I, I wouldn't, I don't even know. So when I'm dating new people and it's going well, that too, like just having conversations and being excited and positive about how things are going. And having somebody to talk to, to say, things are going well for me. Oh yeah, how so? Well, I have a bunch of people that I'm talking to going on a lot of dates. Well, that's great. Nice to have somebody just think it's nice. Right. And so there are many reasons why you can seek out 
community and one of mine, one of the reasons I'm seeking out a broader community beyond just the people in my local world who I might want to actually have like face-to-face relationships with um, is because it's nice to be celebrating, right? And that's one of the things we do in our cohort program too, in the year of opening, we celebrate. We celebrate. Yep. And it's it's good to celebrate. We're excited for each other. But that doesn't land well everywhere. And what I've noticed is in non-monogamous, the non-monogamous world, sometimes people are going through like big challenges. And so it can feel sticky to be like, yeah, everything's actually awesome over here. Yeah. But also when I'm swimming in my generally monogamous melu and I share how awesome my non-monogamous relationship is going some of the people that I am friends with even struggle and they're, they're like, they think I'm proselytizing or saying like, you should be non-monogamous because I, but I'm really not. I'm just expressing how excited I am to celebrate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we have today is just a conversation among a bunch of non-monogamous people. Yeah. Having a nice time being (laughs) (laughs) non-monogamous. Which doesn't mean we were all in a room together fucking. Because we were not. And that, because that, in fact, is not what it's all about, right? (laughs) So it also, I am so happy to see more and more people experiencing the general, the broad conversation about non-monogamy as, oh, this is really about expansivity in the imagination of our relationships, Whatever you do with that, however you actively enact like that expansivity, yeah, it might fall under the umbrella of non-monogamy or polyamory or swinging or whatever. Like you might call it whatever, but right at the beginning, it's about the imagination of, oh, what if we get really conscious about what we're doing? And so the skills and the conversations of Mm non-monogamy, they're just the skills of great relationship habit. So this is an episode for anyone, but also if you've been looking for community, um, Emma and Finn have a great spot that is very accessible. Um, and you know, whereas the year of opening, I love, I love our program. I think it's fantastic. Absolutely, It is. And it's not always the right moment for you to jump into it. Sometimes you're looking for a more general, um, I, I want to show up. I want to be included in a conversation, but I'm not looking for a process necessarily. I'm not looking to right. be like walked through step by step. How do we do this better? Awesome. There are so many different kinds of community out there and that makes me really, really happy. So without further ado, let's uh, let's get into this conversation with Emma and Finn of Normalizing Non-Monogamy. You can learn more about them right at their website, or you can search for their podcast on any of the players. And they're two lovely humans. We had a nice time. I think you will too. Hey, so Emma and Finn, thank you so much, first off, for joining us. I'm super excited to talk to people who've been building community and living life. I I think, you know, I know this phrase gets overused massively, but living an authentically you life matters. And in our world, not everybody feels totally comfortable talking about that. So So it's nice to be talking to people (laughs) who are comfortable talking about that. Yeah. Super exciting. Would you just start us off by telling us, introducing yourselves and, and saying a little bit about how you find yourself 
talk yeah. about this stuff. How we wound up here yeah. somehow magically. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much for having us. Yes, We're excited for this conversation. And we are, I'm on Finn, we are the hosts of the Normalizing Nominee. Host of the Normalizing Non-Monogamy podcast. You think I could say it right after five years, but um, it is a mouthful. We have been together for 18 years, non-monogamous for most of those. It's looked in different, has taken different shapes over the years. Um, and yeah, the podcast is five years old. We also have a community built around the podcast. So we like to say that we actually have a com- community with a podcast, but uh, it didn't it, always used to be that. It way. is not that way at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And so when you say you've been together for eighteen years, and I instantly I'm thinking, okay, so you know the deal. You know that eighteen years ago it was not like it is now, and so we wanted to talk a little bit about community. And I am right away struck with, so all those years ago. Did you find that it was easy to find community, to connect with people? I mean, I feel like the, the question answers itself, but also please answer it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I will say for for me, and I think both of us, was it was very hard. So part of this was when we first opened our partnership, we were basically in our second year of college, and we were actually studying abroad in another country. So that made it challenging. But when we got back to our home university, we went to school in a pretty remote part of the country, very small school, not a whole lot. Like we were 10 hours from home and that was mostly like two lane roads to get there. So it was a long ways out. And so there wasn't a whole lot of community definitely in the non-monogamy world. But I think even at that time, it wasn't I'm sure it was still a a thriving community, but I think it was much more underground at that point. That was 2007, 2008. And so we didn't have a lot of community. And well, even for the next like five, 10 years, we didn't have much community. Like we were always after graduating college, we moved to a bigger city and we're and we're trying to find community always with the goal of meeting like like minded friends. And it was incredibly difficult. Yeah, we found like our our flavor of non-monogamy in the early days. We didn't know a lot of the different terminology and we wound up in a lot of the swinging scenes. Sure. But in retrospect, and this actually just came into my head in the last two minutes, what we were often looking for was community. And yeah. we often describe that as friends with benefits. We wanted people that we could go hiking with, go camping with, maybe even go on a vacation with. And if if something developed that was you know, we could sit in the hot tub naked or we could even ideally just talk about the stuff that we're interested in talking about and not have to be afraid about mm-hmm. we're going to offend somebody. Right. So it really was like, can we find friends? And maybe there's benefits, maybe there's not, but we really wanted friends. And it was it was really hard for us to find that for a very long time. Finn, I think what you just said, I, I have literally heard Ken say that exact description of like his definition of like, well, what are you really looking for? Really? Friends who accept me as I am, which means in embracing this, which doesn't necessarily mean I want to sleep with you. Mm-hmm. And that like, cause that's the logical leap that people often make is no, no, no. I just mean, I don't want that line to be there that says, because I happen to be in a partnership already, we absolutely couldn't if mm-hmm. this, if everything right. lined up and it's such a nuanced experience in this monocentric world 
that I, th- I think you just described it beautifully. And I, I do think that there's room between, um, so, so we're together and so no one else exists sexually or even like cuddling. And then the other side, which is, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in an open relationship or I'm not monogamous. And the response is, well, I don't want to sleep with you. Like I, I, I didn't, didn't offer. <laughs> well, that's not where I was headed. I, I not sure why you were, but, but that is such a common response. And somewhere in the middle would be really nice to just be able to be there, have the conversation without agenda or expected agenda. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's taken us, I mean, I don't know that we've even officially found it today, but we we have definitely built friendships over the years that I can think of a couple that are very close friends that we, maybe we don't see them all the time, but we interact regularly. We can hang out, we can be friends. If nudity happens, nobody's clutching their pearls. We're and but well, we're more also, than that, the conversation. Yeah, we can talk about the deep, things going on in our relationships, because there are times often where this is hard. And if you can't turn to somebody and say, I'm having this really hard thing with my partner and who knows, maybe it's, she's struggling with my other partner. And they're like, well, there's your problem. You have two partners. If you hadn't right. had a girlfriend right. and a wife, then you wouldn't have these issues. And it's so like, I think you're the default, it. the mm-hmm. default assumption that you're non-monogamy is the problem, which I mean, so your podcast is Perfectly named, right? Normalizing non-monogamy because the normalization there is just removing this presumption that non-monogamy is the causal, mm-hmm. f- like the causal point of any friction, any problem. I mean, I can see where they're when, coming from. Monogamy causes no friction. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so you can see why. I, yeah, I wish this were video because then you could see all of our eyes fall out of our heads. Yeah, right. It's, I, I experienced some friction in my monogamous relationships. I recall friction. Yeah. yeah. But but you you have created some of this sort of delicious in-between community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's been, it was honestly, it was unexpected. We, we, yeah. we did not, <laughs> at least in terms of it being from a business standpoint and being tied to our podcast. And in many ways, it was actually born out of the pandemic. I, it sort of was the fire that had it take off. Uh, we yeah. we were trying to figure out sort of how to monetize a podcast, and that's a challenge in its own. And we said, well, we we looked to Patreon like everybody else did, and we were like, but we don't want to sell bumper stickers and those types of things. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but we didn't want to do that. And so we said, well, why don't we build a community, a network of people who can look to each other, rely on each other, support each other, and be there for one another. And, and we started it and it was slow, but it's been, you know, at this point we're close to 300 people and they show up every day. They ask hard questions. They support one another. They share some sexy photos. They share what their dog ate for dinner off of their dinner plate. Like they, it's everything that you could ever imagine in your day-to-day life. But with people who understand if you talk about your other partner or, you say the word compersion or you you are in relationships that don't look like all of the other relationships we see every day. You're in there getting support from those people and and they're our friends. They're not just our you know customers, they're our friends. They're people that we turn to as well and they turn to us and we support and it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I I'm inspired to ask you now like the personal question like why why 
why does this work for you? Why do you do non-monogamy now? I, there are so many iterations that happen when you do this long term. And a lot of our listeners are toward the beginning of mm -hmm. their ex exploration, toward the beginning, um, or they're in a reinvention point, right? Like mm -hmm. what we have been doing isn't necessarily where we want to go. What keeps you going or what's inspiring you, especially now? Yeah. I would venture to guess our answers are not identical. So maybe we answer individually. I'm sure there, I know there's, yeah, yeah, I know there's, yeah, there's similarities, hey, we're trying, but, but okay. yeah, <laughs> I think to give some context first, you know, we, when we started, we started dating young, we knew each other in high school. We started dating in college. We had a background in knowing each other. We had a solid friendship. We had a lot of trust built. So initially when we opened our relationship, it was born out of, I want to be with you, but I don't want to limit you in life and I don't want to be limited. And that was, Finn brought that to me early on and it started conversations from almost the very beginning of our relationship. And so that was the motivation then. And I'd say like, it definitely has made, that that thread has been consistent throughout, but it definitely has taken different um, roads, like paths to get here to where we are today. But I'll chime in more, but I want to hear your your response. I think that has carried through and stayed true for me, you know, 12, 13, 14 years later, whatever the number of years is at this point. But it's very similar to what you said Ken's approach is in his mind is I want to meet people in the world and not have a predefined set of this is how we're supposed to relate to each other, regardless of gender or relationship style. It'd be, hey, you seem like an amazing human you seem to be thinking that I'm an amazing human. What does that mean for the two of us? Does that mean we're friends? Does that mean maybe whatever we hook up once a year because we happen to be passing through the same city? Does it mean we have a long-term committed uh, partnership? What is, what do we do with this thing we're both feeling and can we let it ebb and flow as it makes sense in our mm -hmm. lives in your life and my life. And I think, that for me is sort of the dream when I meet people to just say, here's who I am and here's what my life can support. And here's what would be awesome with you. What do you think? And then they get to say, well, here's what my life looks like. And here's how I could support having you in it. What do you think? And then we figure out if what we both have to give works for both of us. I, I think that, you know, that sounds so mature that I, <laughs> and I, and I love it. And I'm also struck by how I, you know, that, that perspective is one thing. And then there's living it. Like then there's like being in it. And sometimes it's, it's confusing or messy, or we find ourselves a common phrase that I hear with people all the time is we want to stay on the same page. And it's just so hard. Like we talk about community. Community is important. But we can't actually, in a you know, in a three hundred person community, people get we're not all going to be on the same page. We can be reading from the same book, maybe, but we're mm -hmm. not going to be on the same page. But then, like as the community circles get smaller or closer to you, you know, when I've had local community and local polycule energy, it feels very different to try to stay like uh, that. That phrase, that stay on the same page, it it just reminds me how complex living what you just described like actually living it because because then you're going through stuff you're like you're 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 in school or you're raising small children or we're experiencing having older children where we're like oh 
they're leaving the nest. This is our last chance to hang out with them like this. Whatever stage you're in is going to influence it. And then different levels of feeling. So I, yeah, I'm just curious how you manage some of that. It's not easy. And I think it, just to maybe play in your analogy about being on the same page, I think one thing that we've also learned is we could be on the same page reading the same words and they mean something totally different <laughs> to you than they do to me. And so a lot of this for us, one of the things we've been really practicing in the last, let's call it six months is slowing down. And so when we say, again, these are just made up things, but I'm going on a date tonight. What does a date mean to you? Yeah. Because it, what it means to me might not mean what it means to Emma. And so we don't just take things for granted. We don't just say, oh, you're going out to dinner. Okay, you're going out to dinner. Is that, are you maybe going to go home with this person afterwards? Are you coming? Like, are you bringing me dessert? What does is, what is going to dinner mean? I need to know whether to plan on my dessert. Yeah. I, yeah, I do. I like that. I sleep with whoever you want, but I need to know if dessert is coming home. Exactly. That's true. Because I either have to get it myself or I'm waiting on you. Like, or Grubhub me, something. Come on, <laughs> just something. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. To, to the short answer is it's it's a lot of conversations and it's a lot of slowing down and figuring out what do I really mean by this? What do you mean by this? And once we determine that, are we able to keep doing that together? Mm-hmm. Or do we have to change something? Because maybe, maybe I thought my life could support something, but it couldn't. And I'm not willing to give up something else to get this new thing, but I didn't think I was going to have to give something up to get the new thing. And so it's a constant state of flux and conversation and being willing to adapt and then go to the next person and talk to them about the thing. You just, there's a lot of conversation and communication. Mm -hmm. It can't just be about the sex. Nope. I can't. No, I, no. I know. Like, I know we all say that. We we talk about, like, it's not about the sex, but it literally can't be because there's so much conversation yeah. that needs to happen. It and- is so much not about the sex. The sex is so far down the line of things that take energy. And, right. And, <laughs> right. Um, not to care. mention the fact that I, when I think about staying on the same page with someone, I need to redefine my terms, but I also need to allow them to grow. So for me, having a long-term committed partner who I have, it's not so much about the legal ties that get me, but the property ties. The fact that we own property together means that there are ways that we have to um, talk to each other and stay in communication that we wouldn't if we were doing a more casual life together. And so, you know, when I think about (laughs) having all of these conversations, it feels perfectly obvious, I think, for most people to say, oh, well, you 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 live with this person, you travel with this person, like they're, you, they, obviously you have to explain everything to them. But then as soon as we start to create community around us, as soon as we start to create local people or even distance folks with, the, but they were committed to in some way, we do have to engage in ongoing, not just communication, but ongoing like agreement making that like those processes and that's All where I find relationship stuff. Right. I find people just, it, it gets, it gets overwhelming to think about, even though on paper, we all know this has to happen. You turn, you know, open any book and there it is like, yep. Got to keep re-upping, re-engaging. You can't just set it and forget it. So what ways are you finding that you like that help you stay connected and in communication with, with a diverse relational world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I want to answer that question, but I want to back up a little bit because I realized that I think your for, your question before where Finn described his kind of dynamic, I think I come at it a little bit differently. Yeah. And mine more is around thinking about my needs in my life and the different people I can get, like have different needs met by. And so um, I, I think that, you know, I'm, married to Finn and we have a life together and there's, but so much of society teaches us that you have to get everything from one person. And that's so not true. And like breaking out of that is difficult, but like then recognizing that all these other people in your life can fulfill different needs, either on a romantic sexual way or just friendship and communication. And there's so many needs that I know I want in connection with other people that I can get from many different people. And it doesn't take away from the connection that I have with Finn. Um, but that that's really hard. It's easy to say, but it can be hard to, to navigate to, especially when we're taught that like you're supposed to get everything from one person. Um, but around connecting, I guess that leads nicely into the connecting with us. I think that's something that we are, we thought we had figured out, I think. <laughs> and um, we're having to, over the last few years, figure out what it means again for us. And as we grow and develop as people, what, how does our relationship change and grow and develop too? And so, um, do you have more to add there? I think there's a couple of things that came up for me in that. One was tying it back to community and that is having people, our friends that we can go to and say, this is a thing that's coming up. This is a thing I'm struggling with. And now you have a whole bunch of people who can say, oh, I did that last year and I stepped in that pile myself and here's what I did. Here was my experience. And you can go, wow, I never even thought of that. And I bet my partner maybe is feeling that same thing that you were feeling or that your partner felt. And now I have some new things that I can come back to the table with and have some different conversations. But I think to, to Emma's point, one thing we've been learning just in the last couple of years and, and really months ourselves is the differentiation between the two of us, because we've we've lived a life where we do almost everything together. I mean, we spent 11 months backpacking in South America. We spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week together for almost a year straight. And that was before COVID. That was before COVID. <laughs> so we were well prepared we were for ready. COVID. Training. We were ready. We, we were ready for that. We didn't want to do it again. No. But we were prepared for it because we had done it before. And so. And then you were out of toilet paper again. I like right. brilliant. Okay. You were yeah. totally prepared. Right. So we, we've been redefining what it even means to be married. And that's a big thing because that's you going away for a weekend and me going away for a weekend or us spending time apart and doing it in ways we had never done it before. And part of that is we love spending time together. And so sometimes it's like, well, that would be, why would I go be by myself when I love spending time with you? But then we step back and go, well, there's so much value in that alone time. And yeah, and I know this seems like a cop-out answer, but I think it's so much about the communication. It's talking to Emma about what our partnership needs, talking to other partners about what those need, and then being really clear up front and saying, hey, like, hey, awesome person that I think there's a really great connection here. I don't have time to do more than, oh, you know, yeah. 
communicating once a week or maybe once a month, or I'm probably going to be pretty bad at responding. And there's been some of those that have been really hard where maybe you jump in, you get excited and and then you're like, I am way in over my head. And now I have to backpedal and try to talk to this person about how I got in over my head and what can I do about that? And how can we still maintain some type of friendship without it burning a bridge? Like it's, it's hard, hard. It requires a lot of authenticity and courage and social competence is a strong word, but I mean, you're describing grace, grace. That's more the right word. Well, and it doesn't require it. It just looks and feels nicer if you have it. Cause you can do this. You don't have to do it. Yeah. Grace. (laughs) The thing is I would rather somebody did that communication clumsy than not do it it at all. And Mm -hmm. I see that happen all the time. What you're talking about is it's not just a lot of conversation, but also conversations we're not used to having. So yeah, I was thinking about that word communication, which there you can have a lot of communication and accomplish nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, had whole, you had a whole first marriage that way. Yeah. Just, we never talked about any of the things that were going on inside. We, we didn't get, have the uncomfortable conversations. Um, a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. single day. Nothing that, uh, nothing in service to the goals that, I was going to say of our relationship, but we never talked about that either. So it's hard to have them. Well, that's interesting because, you know, we, so we just, we've been talking about how then you have to have these community uh, conversations that you have to keep allowing the conversations to to deepen and, and enrich by having them amongst m- multiple people. But if... If you're simple, if, if your way of relating, let's just non-monogamy, straight up, isn't accepted, well, now you're also being different versions of yourself in different places. Ooh. And I see this come up every day in my clients' worlds, in my group program. I see people who are, they've practiced now showing only a couple facets of themselves in each area. And so now they're trying to have complex conversations and and they have to sort. I don't think of it as, they're not lying, but they're trying to sort out which aspects of me are allowed to be seen and communicated in this area versus this one, which it just complexifies the whole picture. And for some people, that's a safety issue. Like they, like they haven't yet figured out how to be out, say, at work or with family or um, in, in situations where their children could be um, experiencing ramifications. But sometimes it's also just about I just don't know how, I don't know whether I'll fit in and not wanting to face that yet. And I don't know, the longer I've been in this, the more I have found that being out and and pretty loud about it really is very helpful to me, but not everybody feels that way. There are a lot of ways. How has that, how has that worked for you? Yeah. Great question. <laughs> yeah. It's been a, it's been a process for us and a journey for sure. I know that previous to the podcast and um, in the beginning of our relationship, we were not out to anybody. It was very much just like, this is for us. This is our relationship. It's our sex life mostly. And we kept that very private on purpose. That was that because we wanted to over time, you know, we have started to come out more and more and especially with starting the podcast and having that be a big part of our life. And we're still, on that process and honestly probably always will be like, but, but it's the more that you, we find that we we do come out and tell people about it. It's reactions are varied 
And ultimately, though, if you can work through any any negative reactions and work through that, it deepens relationships. So because you're you're more authentic with the people in your life. And so or like it potentially ends relationships too of any sort because like that just doesn't work and it's there's a letting go and an acceptance and but I think for me the biggest thing I've noticed is it's been hard as hell with with um in some situations but the reward has been worth it right yeah so big picture mm-hmm. in the big picture but also not rushing yourself I'm hearing that you yes. have not rushed your process there. Um, and I'm guessing that that's a converse, an ongoing conversation between the two of you <laughs> and other yes. partners that you have. Yes. Like, okay, because I mean, I find that happens all the time. I'm, I'm very out. And I mean, once you, once you out yourself on a TED stage, you can't go back in. And I did that. And I, I knew <laughs> that was my, that was my watershed moment. It happened in December of 2019. I gave a TEDx and that meant when I said like, I'm polyamorous, I'm like, I don't own that video. That's mm-hmm. just out there now. And I knew I couldn't put the genie back in the bottle, but it means that the people who date me are like, they're faced with that that question. Like, oh, what does it mean to be seen with me? Even people being friends with me. And I've noticed that for some people, it's it's intimidating just, just to even be considering normalizing the concept, let alone mm-hmm. actually practicing it. This doesn't have to be just about practicing it. Because one of the things that when I think about community, I think, oh, I want my community to accept me and accept my um, my relational experiences the same way anybody does. And not everybody's going to. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's like, bummer, not fun. But I also have a lot of privilege, so I get to do that. I like I I get to I get to move in the world without a lot of threat because of it. And I don't know. I guess I just wanted to name that it it's such a, a nuanced conversation, and and one to be patient over time. I I give you a lot of credit for being patient with yourselves, even as you have been public and out and having a forward facing presentation. And at the same time, also being like, you know what? But we don't have to do it all at once. It's, yeah, there's something really sweet about taking your time with that. I think most of that patience credit goes to Emma because I'm the, uh, that's where a place where I'm the gas of, mm-hmm. I don't want to hide who I am. And what, I, what I've often done is something similar to the way that I approach other relationships is I don't want to hide. And if I share this part of me with you, that might mean that I don't fit into your life or maybe you don't fit into mine. And it's it's been rare that it would be like, I'm going to tell you this because you don't fit into my life. It's I'm more like, this is a part of me and it doesn't impact my ability to be your friend, but I understand that it might impact yours to be mine. And some of that strength has really come from bolstering community around us that does get it. Because mm-hmm. if I know I have even three or four groups of friends or, you know, couples or people that I can say, I know I'm accepted there. I know they will be my friend on the other side of this. I don't have to worry. It's a little less scary to tell somebody else. You don't ever want to burn bridges. You don't ever want to lose friendships, but you, I also don't want to keep pumping all my energy in where you're pushing rope uphill. It's, there's no value in it to me. 
That yeah. makes perfect sense to me. I when I think about my family, all know like they they can't avoid it. They they, mm -hmm. they know, but um, that doesn't mean that they care. And when I say they don't care, like I don't even know whether they care. Um, I've refused to take input on this. Like it's not their business. But also, um, I you know they they have appeared to treat it pretty much as a like well, mean we don't get to decide how you live, and and yet. I agree with you completely. Like, I don't want to pour energy into people who don't care how I live. Because that, like, that's a double-edged sword. It's, I also wish they did to a degree. I want, mm -hmm. I, like, I want them to accept me, love me, embrace that. But I also don't love having people um, in my inner circles. You know, I think of several concentric circles there, not just my tightest mm -hmm. circle. Really being like, oh, yeah, cool. That's not how I live, but cool. And let's mm -hmm. learn from each other. And that is the surprising upside to me of sharing with people. Some people have surprised the hell out of me. And that has, it's not so much that it made my community bigger, but it made it deeper. Yeah. Yeah. That exactly. Was, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I just, I wanted to be clear too. Like I, I have been more patient with the process. I have been slower with the process, but I very much don't want to hide either. It's, I, I want to be um, authentic, but I think there's for sure, there's also, for me, a line of uh, like having some privacy in my life too. And so not having to share everything with everybody. Yeah. But sorry, you were going to say something. Well, you know, your, your comment, Julie, about going deeper with some community. And that has been very much our experience. Again, not with everybody, but I can speak to like my experience coming out to, to my best friend. I've known him since kindergarten and we're very close. We talk about I mean, we are the types of friends that we share our 401k and retirement strategies and talk about the real numbers. We don't, oh, I've got some, we know how much each other has and we are very, very close and we are always coming up with side hustles and that type of stuff. And so I went, we were three-ish years into having a business that he had nothing, he had no idea, completely uh, no idea that it existed. I think we were only... Was it two? A year in. A year. It was. Yeah. It was. A, it, I think was it was a little less time. than. It was. It was still enough time. Yeah. Yeah. It was enough time that I was feeling a lot of sadness that there was a big part of my life that I was keeping from my best friend. Yeah. And so when we told him and his wife, I mean, it opened up so much between the two of us that we could talk about. And now he asks about it on the regular. How is the business going? How you know? How are you doing? he's part of our virtual community. Like he pays to be in there to show up. He comes to some of the events, not because he's not monogamous, but he loves supporting that. And there's also a ton of value in there for people who aren't non-monogamous to, to, to mm -hmm. have people looking at life a different way and relationships a different way. And so many of the tools that we talk about, they work for all relationships. Yeah. Um, and so it has deepened our friendship significantly and I don't have to hide who I am around him. I don't have to shelter what I talk about. And that has been a huge, huge thing for the two of us. And I'm so grateful that we did that and it could have gone the other way and there was a risk there, but I'm glad we had that and now have something that's deeper than it had ever been in the previous, you know, 20 years before that. So I'm finding this an interesting conversation because there's the three of you talking about authenticity and um, even with the, the 
the idea of privacy in there, you're all like, yep, want to be authentic, want to be out there. I don't want to hide anything. And I spent most of my life absolutely filtering everything I did to fit in to where whatever I was. It didn't particularly which is, work. Which is but so I weird because you didn't fit in. That's right. No, not, I, no but, I wasn't very good it at it. Work. But I put a lot of energy into it. Uh, and I, I hear you talking about this and I 100% agree. But it hasn't been my motivating factor for most of my life. And I see you live it very differently. Like I, if it weren't for my choices, you would, you, you tend to practice. I, there's sort of this, I, I notice in, in our community too, there's like some people are sort of naturally turtled. They're like naturally in inner, not just introversion, extroversion. They're naturally tendency, their natural tendency is toward privacy and other people's natural tendency is toward transparency. And these people marry each other, um, which is just a brilliant strategy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's challenging in like this particular area where we're talking about someplace that the general culture says, we don't talk about that because it touches your sex life. Yeah. So, so now you have the additional layer yeah. of, I can see why you aren't necessarily motivated in this direction. And also you work a corporate job. Yeah. Which it's, is just a totally different environment to find yourself mm-hmm. in. I mean, when's it going to come up? It's not going to come up. That people make very, you know, very careful that this isn't a thing. This is why I don't work a corporate job. And this is why you should not <laughs> Because work I would still talk job. about it and it wouldn't <laughs> you be wouldn't okay. You wouldn't work a corporate job very long. No, no, no. It wouldn't last. It's true. And I think about your community of like-minded people. And even though they're all like-minded, they're all different. And we were talking about... Um, I think you brought up, Jolie, the, uh, how we will, some people anyway, will, will like split. They'll be like, I'll be this person when talking to person A and I'll be this other person when talking to person B, not lying, like you said, but just filtering. I'm going to show you just this part. I'm going to show you over there just this part and hope that they never end up in the same room because I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. And it wasn't quite to that extent for me, but close. Um, and I think about that group of people and even though they're all like-minded, they're all different. Mm-hmm. And in a group like that, um, that's a, that's a different dynamic. And I'm curious, I mean, I, the three of you don't do this as far as I can tell from everything that I've heard. Um, but I'm guessing that there are people in your community who do. Mm-hmm. I, I will offer Ken that the the dance you've danced and that you dance. Well, that I appreciate is... you calling it a dance. <laughs> it's not graceful. I'm trying to give you the benefit of the appreciate doubt. that. <laughs> <laughs> is is one that I have danced myself, and I would venture Emma has as well. And yeah, I this is a weird thing that I've actually been thinking a lot about the last couple of months or so. Is I present in a way. I often use like, I feel like you would tag me as an insurance salesman if you ran into me on the street. (laughs) Like I don't, I don't present in any way that would, that people would stereotype and say, oh, he's probably been a swinger for the last 15 years of his life, or he's been in orgies or he's thrown them or any of these things that I do in my life. I don't feel that I present that way. And I've actually been trying to unpack why that is. Is it that I want to hide? Hmm. Is it this other thing which I enjoy, which is the element of shock when when somebody's talking to me and I feel like I've 
developed a level of trust with them that I'm okay sharing what's below the surface. And then they're like, well, holy, I did what, who are, I had no, what is this life you're talking about? And so there's this dance, you know, cause I have worked corporate engineering jobs for most of my life and still wind up in some spaces where it's not okay to do what we do. And so finding that balance of how do we be us without lying? And that's a tricky dance. Um, so I, I do that dance, but it's, I can empathize, I suppose, is what I'm getting at. Um, yeah. I love, I love ha- having this conversation because I think when people hear, like we're going to talk about community, they imagine that we're talking about, um, I, I, like when we're talking about non-monogamy and community, a lot of people's imagination goes to either like communes, like goes to like <laughs> thinking about a whole bunch of people who want to grow plants together on a plot of land, which cool if you do, awesome. But that's just not generally what's happening. Um, or they think of online communities like yours, which I'm so grateful exist so grateful because it's very important that we have access all over the place and not everybody's local area is a mm-hmm. safe or or reasonable place to be very out. And then there's your local world to exist mm-hmm. in. And we all exist in these different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in the US and we, we happen to be in an area where it's very safe for us. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is. And I just I don't know. I don't even know that I have a question, but I'm guessing that you see in your larger community some people who are like, I need this online space to exist. I see it in my research. People are like, I have to use online community mm-hmm. because I I could be harmed or I just don't, I don't even know who I could talk to this about, about this to. Yep. So yeah. How do you see it come up for people, especially in this mm-hmm. sort of tenuous time we're living in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You touched on it. Perfect. And, yeah. and do you want to speak to it or would you? Go for it. Okay. So we, exactly that. I think what we often tell people is we, we tend to approach it from an agnostic standpoint of we, we, we love our community, but we're not over here saying you should be monogamous with our community. That would be kind of (laughs) foolish. Right. And so we, this is the only one and you must join it. (laughs) Yes. So, So we, we have other community leaders as part of our community. We invite them in all the time and people who run local meetups and it's, What we often tell people is if you're in a bigger city or maybe it's a liberal area, you may be able to find yourself a local community. So we we happened to talk to somebody last night on a call who they live in Asheville and twice a month they have a local poly meetup and one of them's like at a diner and maybe one of them's at a brewery. And those are just spaces to meet, talk and start to get to know the other people in your space. They're not necessarily a hookup situation or anything like that. And so we, we tell people, yeah, look on your, your meetup.com. Facebook is a great place. There are tons of Facebook groups that are, some are local, some are national with 10,000 or more people in them. And you can find community that way. There's also different, a lot of different podcasts with community too. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Yeah. So we, we try to help people find the in-person, because there's so much value in being able to sit across the table from somebody and know that they're there and that you could call them up and say, do you want to grab a beer or do you want to get breakfast? Because I'm having a hard day. And we know the power of that. But we also know if you live out in, again, stereotyping, maybe you live out in rural Kentucky, 
that's probably going to be tough for you to find. You're probably going to have to head over to Lexington where it's a little bit more open and free for that. And so sometimes or people- Or even Atlanta yeah, or some, a bigger city. People have to travel a bit and we know that can be- Costly. Costly, limiting. <laughs> and sometimes maybe virtual is your only option. Or there. this is another thing we see on occasion is maybe their partner doesn't know that they're interested in this. And they're trying to learn and build themselves a community in a low risk way. So they can't be driving off and going to events locally, but they can, you know, they can hang out in a virtual community and not to be nefarious or cheat or break trust, but again, build that. Who are these people? What is this environment? What is this space? And is there a way we can do this that works for both of us? You know, you bring up such an important point. So I always say it's important to have community beyond who you want to fuck. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important. And um, and I run – so I run groups and I run – they're closed cohorts. So once each mm-hmm. cohort forms, like they're together and that that's great. But um, – Sometimes people aren't ready to be in a learning pro- – like we actually go through a didactic learning process together. I'm taking them through this process of transition or up-leveling their, their relational skills. But <laughs> there is often a, a long lead time for some people where one partner in an already monogamous relationship is not ready yet. They're not, they're not open to the idea. And so I love this idea of First off, yes, there should be a multiplicity of places to go and spend your time and do your learning, but also these different phases and stages of growth that you'll go through where at just normalizing, just being with other people who talk about this can can really change how your monogamous connection can go. You don't have to be ready to throw the gates open or do all the things or even to take on, you know, a, my my like my program's a whole year to be ready to commit to that and be like, okay, we're in and we're doing that may take people I what I'm seeing is it takes people usually between a few months and up to 18 months or 2 years to be mm-hmm. like, okay, now we're ready to really take action and do this. And in that time, being in these larger communities like you're developing where they can just be part of the conversation and hear, hear like literally read and hear people's conversations around, oh, there are other ways yeah. for relationships to look and go. And that stretches the imagination. And my work is all about if I can get the imagination to stretch, then almost anything is possible. But if I can't get that first, then a lot is foreclosed. So I love, I love that you exist. Would you tell everyone like we, they're going to want, but they're going to want to find you. How do people <laughs> get involved? How do they find you and how do they get involved in your community? Yeah, absolutely. Can I, can I interject one more thing that I, that yeah, came to me that I thought was just a really cool experience that we had actually just last night and it dovetailed into what you were just sharing there where maybe one partner is not ready or one partner knows they're never going to be ready. And so now you have typically called a monopoly. One person is polyamorous, one person is monogamous, dynamic. And we had a really cool thing happen last night that blew me away and I loved it. So I'm going to brag about it. So we, we do virtual meet and greets every month. We're taking the summer off, but we do them monthly. We, they're on Zoom and it's really just an opportunity to talk about questions in a small group and we scramble the rooms and all that. It's fun. And these are outside of the community. Yeah, we'll not, talk about the community in a minute. 
But what happened was we had somebody join last night who we had never seen and they were like, blah, blah, blah. My, my partner's heavily involved in the women's group and she keeps telling me I need to check this out. And so here I am, I'm the monogamous half of a monopoly couple and came to the event by himself, spent two hours going into breakout rooms, talking with people who were all identified as non-monogamous. And it was just like, I, he's basically just, I just wanted to be around the community. I wanted to meet the people. And I think I just thought that was a really fantastic way to destigmatize it. Because if your partner comes to you and says, I want to do this thing. And you're like, this thing is the thing that everybody says in the world is crazy. But then you can sit for two hours and just have a conversation about what are, what are you excited about this summer? What was the last awesome accomplishment you had in your life? And so these questions aren't, you know, tell us about your polycule. They're tell us about yeah. you. And you. you can learn these people on a human level. It changes your whole perspective of what this is we're doing, that we're all just regular old people doing things just a little bit differently but that we can all coexist. And I just, that experience to me was really great that, that he showed up last night and had a great time. Mm-hmm. And I loved mm-hmm. that. And so I just, yeah. I needed to interject that here because it, it seemed to touch on what you were kind of saying about people not being ready. It's a great way to get ready is to yeah. experience that it's a little less scary than it can maybe yeah. seem mm-hmm. on the outside. Yeah. That's okay. great. Yeah. Soapbox, I'm off of it. <laughs> no, it's, it was it was great. You can find more about the community. So on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, um, or just typing that in any in Google. Um, on the community tab of our website, is list, all of the information is listed there. It's five bucks a month to join. You get access to a monthly Q&A that we do with community members. We do a monthly women's group, a monthly men's group call um, that are open to all genders, just depending where you feel like you fit. And... Um, we also have an ongoing chat platform, as Finn was talking about, where people interact with each other on a daily basis and can find support uh, and all of that. So, yeah, find it on our website. You can also – we'll start doing the virtual meet and greets, as Finn was talking about, again in the fall. Um, those will be under the events tab on our website, too. Um, and we're also just about to start some weekly support groups as well, um, kind of within the community at another tier uh, that we're really excited about. Yeah, we, that. we've been running that. I've been running the men's group in a weekly format since October. There's been about 12 of us in there and that has blown my world. Like I am completely blown away by how impactful that's been for everybody and for myself. And so we decided to try to build on that a little bit and offer mm-hmm. some more, a little more maybe intense or a little more rigorous intimate intimate support where it's, <laughs> yeah. it's similar to your cohorts Jolie where they're in there it's the same group of 10 or 12 people they show up every week we know each other's we know we know all of the stuff under the hood and we can reach out and support each other and hey you know Bill I know you were struggling this week with this how's your week going have you come out of it what how did your partner respond where we just we're so there building for each friendships other. We're building friendships. Building friendships. And that, like, more places for that to happen. It's just so amazing. That's that's an amazing gift to the world. Mm -hmm. So also you have a lovely podcast. Mm -hmm. It has a nice simple name that people will remember (laughs) after we have said this so frequently. But tell everybody about the podcast just a bit. Yeah. 
Sure. We interview people every week. We release episodes on Wednesday. And so we interview all different types of people. Uh, Sometimes it's uh, multiple people. Sometimes it's a single person. And we talk to them about their journey through exploring non-monogamy at whatever level they're at, wherever they're at, and their experiences. And we've been, yeah, releasing a weekly episode for the last five years. And it's been incredible. The amount of conversations, just the conversations themselves blow us away like every single time. And um, it's extremely powerful just to hear others' journeys uh, in exploring this. Yeah. Um, I love that. Do you have more to add? Uh, No, not a lot. I think that just that the sort of the mission is to just let people know they're not alone Yeah, and to, Mm -hmm. and maybe in some ways it is giving them a community to say, I just listened to a story of somebody, maybe they're on the other side of the world, but I just recognized that I'm not alone in this thing that I thought I was alone in. And that's sort of what we try to do is the, some of the people are other podcasters or maybe content creators, but many, many, many of them, just random people email us. Here's my story. I want to tell it on your podcast. And we're just like, bring it. Let's do it. That's fantastic. That's fabulous. Normalization happens through stories and story sharing. So absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Emma and Finn, for joining us. It's been a total pleasure to be in conversation with you. And I hope this will be just the first of many conversations. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Yes, we hope so too. Yeah, thank you both for having us. And we can't wait to do it again. There's no one right way to design your relationship. And lots of people, actually about 25%, according to a recent national survey, are interested in some type of open relationship. But how do you know if you are ready to open up happily? Not everyone is, and that's no problem. I've got a 60-second quiz that will give you the answer. And even better, You'll walk away with your next step, whether you're good to go or not so much when it comes to opening up. And this is no BuzzFeed nonsense. I personally designed this quiz from my years of academic research. Go to joliquiz.com. That's J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z.com and find out if you're ready to open up happily and what to do if you are or if you're not.